Are we experiencing a major fallout in the Christian faith and especially among leaders in the Christian faith? We're going to be talking about that and a whole lot more today with a special guest on Mission and Likeness. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Mission and Likeness. My name is Scott. Thank you for joining us here today. We do have a special guest coming up on the bottom half of the show. A good friend of mine, Brian Curdy, is going to be joining me here in the studio uh, to be talking about following Jesus, the struggles, and what we're currently seeing uh, in the church today and, and how we're seeing major issues uh, beginning to develop and what we can do uh, to try to fall into the gospel and and rely on the gospel to get us into um, a better place as a church and represent Jesus better. So we're going to be talking about that and a whole lot more. But uh, before we even get to that, I want to talk about this article from Kate Shelnett uh, that came out just the other day, and it's titled, The Pastors Aren't All Right, 38% Consider Leaving the Ministry. So as the pandemic continues to go on, uh, pastors are experiencing burnout at a higher and higher rate. And so what is causing this? What is causing the burnout among pastors? And so I just wanted to talk a little bit today and and kind of have a little bit of a conversation around, you know, what, what is the pressure that we're putting on the pastors and what can we as just members of the church as people who are also following Jesus, just like our pastors are following Jesus, what can we do to support them, to encourage them, to disciple them? Because yes, pastors need discipling too. And you know, what is our role in that? And and that's a much bigger conversation that, that we'll need to flesh out, you know, in future, in future episodes. But today I, I want to talk about like the basic needs of, of what we can do to help support our pastors as we kind of also talk about, you know, the, the reality of what, what would happen to the church should 38% of pastors just leave and, and, leave the ministry. So that's, that's kind of a scary thought. And I want to get into this article uh, a little bit more and, and what Kate, um, Kate Shelnett has to say about this idea. And so she says in her article that the greater number of pastors rethinking their profession correlates with rising stress and worse mental health in general. Back in 2016, 85% of pastors related their mental well-being as good or excellent, according to the previous Barna poll. In October of 2021, so just last um, last month as of this recording, it was down to 60%. So a 25% dip in the number of pastors who say that their mental health and well-being was good or excellent. So pastors who said they have seriously considered leaving the pulpit were half as likely to say they were doing well relationally and third and a third as likely to say they were doing well emotionally, Barna found out. So with so many pastors on the brink, pastors are more eager for outlets uh, like getaways where they can develop friendships, speak openly about their struggles, get advice, and find mental health support. So I want to talk about this because 
I think this is uh, if you, if you read the full article, and we can link it in in the description below. But here's here's the premise that pastors are one in short supply, two they are stressed from overwork and just the the intensity of their work. I mean, as a pastor, let, let's talk about what a pastor's role is. A pastor's role is to shepherd the people that God has put within their church. So if you have a church of 200 people, the pastors are pastor or pastors, if you're fortunate enough to have multiple pastors, they're responsible for those people for helping to point and lead and develop new leaders and, and pointing them back to Jesus. And so that can that in and of itself is a big burden. On top of that, you know, they they run ministries, they preach, they teach, um, and and they're looking for people to build up in in the church. They're also many of them use um, social media as a means to connect with. Non-believers or people within the community, uh, they have financial, you know, things that they need to take care of, the budget, the church budget, and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of stress surrounding the role of pastors. Now, obviously, in a lot of different contexts, you know, some churches are able to hire support, and they have secretaries, and they have financial people that can come in and help, and they have uh, other pastors that can help spread that burden. But for a lot of pastors. I think that that struggle is is real because, especially now, as we're you know, kind of on the way out of the pandemic, at least it seems, you know, a lot of people are absent from church, and so church has done church uh, churches little c within the within the country, Western culture especially, we haven't done a great job at figuring out who our people are. We've kind of made membership something that is not a priority. You know, it's more about, you know, are we putting on a good service? You know, are we doing all of these checkpoint things? And, and membership hasn't necessarily been a super strong thing. And so when the pandemic hit and people fall away, it's hard to keep track of who is in your flock. Like, who, who are you to be looking after? Because if in in our example of the two hundred members of the church, if twenty people leave the church, you know, and fifteen people move in, you know, part of a the church's responsibility is to make sure that those twenty people leaving the church are hopefully getting plugged into another Bible preaching church, another strong Christian church. And then at the same time, you're welcoming in these 15 new people who you're trying to get acclimated and figure out where they are and what they need and and how to help and disciple and, and gospel them as well. And if you have um, a lot of different ministries and opportunities to get plugged in, you know, that is a, that is a very difficult thing. So we as members, you know, we need to step up and, and help support. And I think one of the issues, and, and I don't know if Brian and I will get into this uh, at some point in our conversation, but I think we've become a very consumer-driven church, at least in the West. We are, we're very concerned that the worship is good, that, that we like the worship, that we really like the preaching style, that the messages that our pastor or the sermons that our pastor is 
preaching are for us and they're good and they entertain us and they hold our attention. And it's become a very self-focused kind of experience. You know, do they have a really good childcare program? Do they have a good junior church or a youth program? Or do they have do they do fun things outside of just the Sunday gathering? And we want it, we we treat it almost like um like an a la carte or some kind of adventure experience. You know, we want to make sure that we're entertained and that we're plugged in because it's fun and it's engaging for us. And I think that's a complete miss. I think it's just a big miss. I think it's a misrepresentation of what the church is to be. That is all self-focused and, and about me. And I think the point of the church is to be unselfish and other people focused and not on your experience while you're there and you're worshiping or you're in a Sunday school class or an elective or a a weekly Bible study. It's not about how you feel. It's about how you're responding to the gospel. And if we're not responding to the gospel well, and we are still in sin, you know, you can be in major sin and feel good about what you're doing. Now, we believe that the Spirit would be prompting and convicting in your heart to, to turn away from that sin if, you, if you've been converted, but sin does feel good a lot of times in the moment. We feel justified in doing it. That's why we're doing it. So we need to begin looking at how are we even viewing our role within the church? Are we just there to feed our, our own needs? Or are we actively looking to to help other people and to pour into them, to help them follow Jesus, to help them see the gospel and, and to repent of what they are falling short in? And I think that we don't want to get into those conversations because sometimes those conversations aren't fun. They're hard and they can cause people to react poorly and they can cause people to get angry and potentially leave the church because they don't want to be pressured. They don't they don't want to be judged. They think you're judging you. But I think where we're coming from and and we have to do this in love is we have to we have to develop a culture within our churches to be able to say, "Hey, I care about you and I want to see you follow Jesus." And I and I hope that if if I was in sin, that you would care enough for me to want to see me repent to follow Jesus. This is more about us following Jesus than than how we feel about each other, right? Because we can have disagreements about things and we can really disagree on things. But even the people that I disagree with on, you know, procedural or preferences within how things are run, more than anything, I want to see them follow Jesus. But we have we have taken and made the gospel so personal to us in a in a in the wrong way that we're not actually doing it for the gospel's sake. We're doing it for our own self interest, and so we have to be careful on that. So if if we're seeing a lot of members and a lot of just attenders, because you know honestly, if if you if there's no benefit to being a member to a church, if you don't see the positive you know, benefit of being a member of the church, you're just going to be an attender. And so we strongly encourage membership uh, here at Love Local. And and 
that could be to whatever church that you are going to. If it's a gospel preaching church and you're attending there, but not a member, we would, we would say, why not? Like be a member. And if you don't agree with things, you know, try to find a church that you agree with their doctrine of faith and with their articles of faith and all, all of that kind of stuff. So if we, if we bring that now back to the, to pastor burnout, so pastors are working long hours, they are short staffed, they need help and relational work is super hard. And so if you have pastors that are pouring into a lot of different people, that is burnout. Think of it this way. If, if you're discipling five people and and this means that you are once a week, once every other week, getting together with them to, you know, study God's word, to talk about things that they're struggling with and, and, um, just kind of pray together. Then that is, let's say two weeks, every other week you're meeting with someone that is almost half of your weeknights are taken up. And if you're married or you're, you know, have kids, you know, already your nights are kind of filled up with, with discipling and doing other things. And you need to make time for your kids. And then you probably have ministry meetings and then you have other activities that you're involved in. And then if your kids are in sports and all that other kind of stuff, you're already out of time. And so that begins to take a toll. And so what, what do they have to, you know, let go of? And that's just five people. You know, if you look at Jesus, he had 12 and then he had a core of three you know, so not that that's the only model that you have, but that's the model that Jesus used. And so I think there is some value to that. And so I think there should be people that you're really invested in. And then there might be people that you are somewhat invested in, and maybe they're just not ready to get fully plugged in. But I think the model of raising up to push out is is biblical. And so that means that if I'm discipling three people, the goal is not to disciple them forever. The goal is to make disciples. You know, if you look at the great commission, you know, therefore go and make disciples, you know, the point of a disciple is to then go and make other disciples. And so if we are doing that, if I can help shepherd and, and disciple three people that we can get to a point where they feel comfortable discipling three people, we just went from one to three to nine you know, one, three, and nine. And, and that's how we can help build a strong church. And so we need to step up and we need to be helping our pastors in order to prevent the fallout. Because for many pastors, that is that is what the church pays them for. They, they, they give them a salary so that they can spend time, full time, devoted to raising up leaders in the church. And so we need to be there for them to help kind of not burn out. But we'll talk more about it here in a minute. Love Local. I would encourage you to this week contact your pastor, ask them, send them an email, text and say, Hey, I want to talk. I want to see how I can help. Um, you know, what can I do to kind of help you out and really listen to them and see what it is that you can do to build them up. We'll be right back. 
Here at Love Local, we are committed to helping shape the culture through entertaining and engaging content that unites followers of Jesus and helps us to live out the gospel in every area of life. By becoming a local, you're not just helping us build that mission, but you're helping to carry it out as well. Becoming a local is easy and it gives you access to all of our content. So if you haven't already, please consider becoming a local today. Together, we can help share the gospel locally so that we can reach globally. Welcome back to Mission and Likeness here on Love Local. I am really excited today because I mentioned uh, before that we are having our first guest. And our first guest here on Mission and Likeness is a very good friend of mine, Brian Curdy. Thanks for joining me. You bet, man. Glad to be here. So to get caught up in the front half of the show, we were talking about the Christianity Today's article on pastor burnout. And the article is saying that about 38% of pastors are considering leaving the ministry and like what that would mean for us as members of a church and for anyone who's not a member, what that means for them too. I mean, we need places to gather as the church. And so I wanted to bring Brian on one, because I really value his thoughts on following Jesus and kind of his insights into what, what that looks like, uh, because you are a pastor and we're always, we tend to get into a few conversations about what's going on with the church. Yeah. So, so we want to, I wanted to bring him in to talk a little bit about this and, and then kind of some things that you and I have talked about recently, as far as what, what are some of the concerning things that we are seeing in the church as a whole? And, and one of the things that you had talked about was the lack of discipleship. And so do you want to talk a little bit about how you see that as a problem in the Western church? Yeah. So uh, I, I think a lot of what that stems back to is we are oriented around programs uh, primarily. And a lot of what we do is mechanized almost yeah. um, to to where, we, you know, we need a system to run it. And, um, you know, once we have a program in place, then we almost see the program as accomplishing uh, the mission. And, that program may or may not accomplish the mission. It may or may not help the mission. Um, but in relation to discipleship, primarily helping someone else follow Jesus, which kind of that idea of discipling, uh, that's a lot messier and it's a lot more difficult to get in conversations, uh, around the table with people. Um, people are a lot more guarded. I think it's a lot easier to plug into a program than it is to sit around the table and talk about areas that you need to repent because of sin that has surfaced in your life or, um, but I think, I think broader picture that that actually hinders what the church is trying to do because of if you're not having those conversations or you're not in those settings, then you're not actually able to, uh, grow in your faith. You're not able to process together with other people who are following Jesus. You're not, maybe not even actually addressing your sin because it's easier to just, uh, continue to plug into another program or do another study or not that those things are bad. I mean, I think, I think you have to have the right balance of those, you know, um, ha- having programs to support the mission and discipling would, would be yeah. kind of a blending of the two. So how, how did we get to the point where, or where did the disconnect happen? Where, cause I agree we, we, we use programs in order to help, 
communicate and organize and just gather around. But where did the disconnect happen where that became the means and and kind of the teacher? The program became the teacher, and then we can just swap people in and out, not in a training aspect of like, hey, we're moving. I, I talked earlier about training people up to move people out. That's not what we're doing. We're just filling a role to kind of facilitate the, the program. Yeah. I don't know where the wheels came off, um, but I can say that I, I think it's probably connected to um, it's easier to quantify. Uh, so, you know, if you if you have a, you know, if you would say, hey, like, um, you know, how many discipling conversations did you have this week and how many can you fit in next week versus how many people came to your Wednesday night gathering yeah. and how many small groups do you have? One of those sounds way better than the other. And, you know, sometimes when, when you're looking at a discipling conversation, that might be hours, you know, versus for one conversation, right, one person. Right, right. And, and so then I think when you, when you broaden that out to say, you, you know, a few hundred people in your church, uh, you don't have that many hours in the week. So if we can come up with a program that hits, you know, a larger number of people then Hey, we, we are, you know, discipling or whatever. And I think, you know, large group settings disciple in a certain way to a certain extent. But I think one of the things you find in the Bible is Jesus not primarily discipling in large group settings. He's doing right. a lot of teaching in large group settings, but even a lot of those folks were not following when it came down to it. Yeah. And, and so when it comes to like the pressure that we put on pastors and the expectation that we place on them, do you think that and I'm not trying to like place blame or try to, you know, pinpoint everything on one person, but do you feel like from a pastor's perspective where the majority of the time they're they're underserved, they're underhelped, um, and they have a lot of people that they need to care for, w- was it kind of the easier thing to do to just find a program that's kind of easy and then you can at least say, I can get back to working on that and, and building that later? I mean, is it just a simple there's not enough people willing to help. I think that can be some of it. Um, certainly, I think that can be some of it, uh, and, and I think that goes back to sheer number of people and how do you quantify? How do you? What are your metrics for? You know whether we're doing well or not. I think another thing, which which maybe this is a curveball, um, we like to be the hero. So pastors, yeah. So man, if I'm, if I'm leading something that has a ton of people coming to it, or if I've got a ton of people in my church, um, then, Hey, I look like I'm doing a pretty good job and it can, there can be a temptation to prioritize those kinds of gatherings versus one-on-one conversations that it's, it's really hard to look like the hero in that because you know, that comes across really selfish. Um, so I, I think that can be, uh, maybe something that fuels into that as well. It's, it's easier to manage and it's easier to measure. Yeah. That makes sense to me. And and just as you were saying, you know, when, when you're having a conversation with someone and you say, you know, how many gospel conversations have you been having? I think there's even been just a shift in what we consider gospel conversations. Like, Oh, well, does that mean I'm I'm just gathering and having a conversation with Jesus people? Does that count as a gospel conversation? And I mean, I would argue no, that that's not a gospel yeah. conversation. 
But I would agree. But I think that there ha- there has been a shift, not just and I don't I don't know if it's stemmed from the whole like program model where we've kind of would you say that like waters down the gospel and that's not a real true discipling measure? I, I think it, it depends on the program. Um, sure. But the tendency is to have the program become the point. Um, and that's, that's true of good programs as well. That's true of things that we do that are good. Um, I mean, I lead a program uh, on Wednesday nights that is with a purpose of discipling students, but that doesn't mean it, it actually is going to accomplish that just because we're running the program. Right. So I think there, there is a tendency for both pastors and church members to rely too heavily on programs to do the work that Jesus calls us to do, which is that one-to-one relational encouraging each other to follow Jesus, calling each other out when we're not having relationships where we actually can call each other out and where we can be loving in that. Um, I think, you know, I, something I've thought through recently is, you know, if I can sit around the table with someone who's following Jesus and have a couple hour conversation and Jesus doesn't come up, that's, that's probably a red flag. Yeah. Um, you know, we can talk about all kinds of other things except the most important thing in our life. Um, and I think even, even in conversations with folks who don't follow Jesus, if we're not thinking about how can we, how can we talk about Jesus in this setting? That's going to look completely different in a lot of ways. But um, if primarily our relationships aren't centered around Jesus, then I don't think we're we're understanding the gospel as much as we think. Yeah. So before we we go down the track of of shifting and encouraging people to how can we properly live out like that Second Timothy two two passage? Uh, I first want to kind of look down the road five, 10 years. If we don't course correct, and obviously we understand that we, we're to be obedient to the word and we're to be obedient to what our mission is, which is sharing the gospel, um, pouring into people, discipling people, making more disciples. But if we don't wake up and realize that we've been not doing well in that category, what does the church look like five to 10 years from now? Anemic. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it looks like something that will cave the culture, I think, and eventually become a non-existent force for the mission. I mean, we've kind of seen that a little bit. Church is caving to culture already. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people will say, my name, Jesus promises to build his church. So the gates of hell will not prevail against it, which is, you know, Matthew, Matthew 16. Absolutely true. Yeah. But Jesus doesn't promise to build local churches like that no local church will die. He promises to build his church, like all of his people together. So I think there are as local churches, which I think is a biblical expression of a tangible way to, to show up and be part of that bigger church. But if we're not careful, I think local churches will have less and less ability to impact their community. And eventually, eventually will kind of fold in, They'll, they'll still be Jesus people. I think it'll be harder, harder to find them, harder to gather, um, especially if culture goes the way we kind of see it going, probably uh, becomes, we probably are unable to gather at that point. So I was actually thinking about that the other day in the context of, you know, in five or 10 years, are we prepared for that kind of 
environment in which it looks completely different for us to gather versus it does now. And, you know, I was thinking about that in the context of even sitting around doing a Bible study workshop or something that, uh, that might look completely different in five or 10 years, depending on what our setting is. But, um, so I think in one sense we, you know, we have hope because Jesus promises to build his church and nothing will prevail against it. But I want to be part of a local church that moves with that vision and is part of helping people follow Jesus rather than one that actually is, is drawing people away from Jesus. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, I, I hate seeing COVID being used as a excuse and, but, but the reality is that COVID has dramatically changed how a lot of people view church. And I, I maybe not changed, maybe it's revealed what people believe uh, church is and, and they don't see the benefits uh, and maybe the church has done a poor job of communicating what church membership is and what it stands for. And so maybe that's something that we need to do. But as far as, you know, this, this article, what, one of the things that they talk about is, is the idea that pastors need to be able to be able to gather in groups and they need to be able to talk things out. They need to be able to Sabbath. They need to be able to um, take sabbaticals. And from, from your perspective, I, I think that you can worship the rest and, and put so much emphasis in the rest. But, but what do you think is truly the biggest struggle for pastors right now? And, and what is the solution to it? Pastors in general or me? Uh, <laughs> let's start with pastors in general. Um, so something, something I'll say before we, we go there is, um, I think that part of how we've gotten to where we are is that the church is viewed more as a business than it is the church. Okay. So, and, and, and you can see why that's the case because that's kind of, that's kind of the, the model in which we have to compare it to. So you've got, whether that's CEOs or, you know, you've got consumers or a, a customer or whatever. And, and so you've kind of got this view that the church is a business. We got to figure out how to make it work. We need to make sure we have money to make it happen. Um, we got people that we need to lead that. So it, it sets up this false, false pretense of, you know, pastors are the, the ones who are to serve up uh, things for the people. The people come and, and they, you know, they, they're make sure my coffee's good and, and, and the music's good. And I got programs for my kids and stuff. And it becomes maybe unintentionally a kind of a, a business and consumer model, in which case then as a pastor, if you feel like you're a service provider and people are unhappy with your service or, um, you're like, you know, I got to change the product because no one's coming. Um, you can see how that can go all kinds of different ways. So I think, I think having a right understanding of the church goes a long way in pastors being confident in that they're doing what Jesus has called them to do, even though that may not be popular and that may not be the thing that draws a, a big crowd. Right. Um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest temptations is to kind of knee jerk around to, oh man, we're losing people or, you know, giving's down or how come people haven't come back from COVID yet? And so let's try this or let's try this or let's. And it's not to say you can't try things, but if we're doing that in an effort to validate our kind of identity as service provider, then I, I think that's that's going down a path that we don't want to go down. Yeah, and obviously the spirit is going to the spirit knows the spirit knows the circumstances that your church is in, and it 
And I believe that if your if your leaders are being faithful and they are seeking guidance by the Spirit, it, it will reveal how you know ways that, that you can go about things and try things, and uh, in, in knowing that the Spirit's ultimate role is to draw you closer to Jesus in that. Yeah, you know? and, and I think it kind of goes back to an identity crisis a little bit, like even for pastors, um, maybe more so for pastors because you know we can find our identity in our church, which is a terrible place to find it, and then we can put pressure on church members or, or give them more weight than they, than they should have. Um, and rather than finding our identity in Christ and understanding who we are in Christ, um, that, that to me is something that is going to be key for pastors moving into the next five, 10 years. If, if our identity is not in Christ, man, we're going to, we're going to fold when the pressure comes. Right. So let's look at, uh, second Timothy chapter two, uh, verse two and, and talk about why, why do you feel this is one of the most pressing issues in the church today? So, it, I mean, it pretty much comes down to uh, the opposite view of service provider. So, as a pastor, um, primary job is to help the church follow Jesus. And one of the primary ways you do that is by building into other men who can lead others to follow Jesus. And then that just kind of perpetuates itself. Um, so b- basically if as pastors, if we don't raise up and train the next generation of pastors, there isn't, there isn't one. Um, right. we've gotten away with it for a while in, in the American setting, uh, because we have an incredible seminary and, and college and, uh, support there. But something I was actually thinking about this morning on my drive into work today was, the the reality that even that structure and support is eroding uh it falls to the church like that that's that's where equipping and training should primarily happen and i think paul saying to timothy in that passage you know the same thing that you have heard from me you need to commit that to faithful men who'll be able to teach others also that's that's like the model for healthy church in the pastoral epistles. So same thing in Titus, he says, you know, the healthy church strategy in Titus is teach sound doctrine, teach other people to teach sound doctrine and then teach sound doctrine. Like, right. and, and that leads to a godly life that leads to living it out and, and authentic faith. And it's like, if pastors don't lead that, that's not happening. So I think if you're so concerned with leading a program or, uh, being a service provider, you're not going to do the hard work, the relational mess of discipling other people, especially discipling others to lead in the church. Because if you're not going to want to wait into that, they're not going to want to wait into that. And that's a mess. Yeah. And I, I think looking at the, the, looking at this from the identity side of things, you know, if a, if a pastor feels that, Hey, our church has gone and has gotten a little lax in, in our doctrine and what we're actually standing for and what we're preaching and and they're feeling convicted to, you know, try to change that, they'll face resistance. And so that, that kind of goes back to that, that scale of, do I remain faithful to the, to the word or do I try to keep people involved? And how, how do you navigate that? I, I, I mean, obvi- the, the easy answer to say is, oh, well, you obviously go with the word, but in practical application, if you see people rejecting that in a, in a sense, you know, how, how do you support that pastor as they're trying to do what God has called them to do? Well, I think 
it goes back to, I think that passage that Paul, when Paul says to Timothy, you know, there's going to come a day where people are just going to want to kind of want you to tickle their ears with what you're saying essentially is, is what he says. Like people are, are going to only not going to want to hear the hard stuff. Um, so I think as, as church members, as, as followers of Jesus, one of the ways we do that is to understand the gospel. Like I'm more and more convinced that the baseline understanding of the gospel is missing and more than it should be. Um, and I think because we assume people, people know it and people understand it. It's a simple thing to remember. Yeah. So I think understand the gospel, preach the gospel to yourself, have Mm -hmm. other people in your life that will remind you of the gospel. So whether you're a church member or a pastor, you need that. Yeah. I, I think that's key. And that's something that's really hard for us to, as members to, to hear sometimes because, you know, we, we think, oh yeah, we, we know this kind of stuff and we let's, let's move on. You know, I'm, we don't need to hear the gospel. We know the gospel we're saved, you know, so we don't have to work through that anymore. So I want to talk to you um, a little bit about what are going to be some of the big hurdles as, as pastors and churches try to work out, you know, that second Timothy pas- passage. And then I want to talk about, you know, what, what has been encouraging you um, through all of this. But first I want to talk about our on-air sponsor and it is your blog. It is gospelawareness.com, gospelawareness.com. Head over there. Uh, Brian does a really good job at capturing what, just how to look at certain situations and, and what, how the Bible really guides us into what to think and how to act on certain things, you know, where, where it comes to marriage or voting or just supporting people that are, you know, in the ministry that kind of go underappreciated. That was a great article um, to the underappreciated warriors. Uh, really good. So head over to gospelawareness.com and uh, join Brian there. That's gospelawareness.com. So I want to talk about this hurdle because I think it's kind of the elephant in the room in a lot of churches. We see the issue of no one's involved. No one's willing to step up in a lot of cases. And people have just become, they, they've kind of seen churches just this thing that we do when we kind of need it. And honestly, we don't really need it because I'm saved or it's just not doing it for me. Or I can watch some guy on Facebook or YouTube and I get more out of what he's saying than maybe tracking through a book of the Bible in a Sunday sermon series. So what do you see as the biggest hurdle in trying to get back to that, uh, that model of what a church should be? The biggest hurdle is a tough question. Um, I think one, one leads to the other. So along the lines of our conversation, that church as service provider mentality leads you to say, I could get that from a YouTube sermon. Um, or I can watch three different church services on right. Sunday. You know? I'm extra holy now. I could like watch a service every day, like of the week. Um, but I think I think the biggest hurdle stemming from that in that context is probably we don't understand the church. Like we don't understand what the church is. Because if you understand the biblical vision for the church, you can't possibly think that never gathering with 
the body is a sustainable way to be the church. Um, so I, I think it goes back to a misunderstanding of what the church actually is, which stems from that whole, you know, I have a subscription to Netflix and yeah. Hulu and Amazon prime and Disney plus I have four streaming services available to me. I lose one. Okay. Whatever. Like I decide not to do Netflix, you know, that's almost how, let me queue up what I want to watch today. Let me queue up my favorite speaker. I'm not saying you can't gain anything from YouTube sermons or podcasts sure. or anything. I mean, I, I think that should just be supplemental to uh, anything we're doing in our local church. But I think that mentality is exists in our entire world. So, so like we're fighting against that when like every time we gather with the church, I think we're battling that mindset. Even we bring our phones with us or our iPads with us. And I just said something to students the other day, like, you know, when you're here for an hour or two a week, why don't you consider trying to downplay those distractions that you pull it out and like the enemy is going to battle you like crazy. And that distraction, like we're living with it all the time. We bring it with us to the gathering. That's another way for the enemy to just kind of grab that seed and snatch it away. So I think the biggest hurdle is the context in which we live and trying to rediscover what church actually is. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you view personally, this is a personal question, the implementation of technology into our everyday lives when it comes to growing closer to Jesus, because, you know, I obviously work in, in digital. And so that's kind of my life. That's where I live. And and so I see the benefit of, you know, setting a reminder on your watch to be like, hey, read, you know, get into the word and and, and do this and, and having online conversations or being able to to follow organizations that put out good content, you know, subscribe to Love Local, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But that's also just like you said, it, it's, a, it's another way for the enemy to to get you and, and to just dis- distract you. And so it can it could be a cause for good and yet it can be a cause to stumble. And so how, how do you personally see the use of technology and the fact that the church is becoming, uh, most of the churches in the West at least are becoming more dependent on technology to, to, to kind of identify in. Yeah. So two things come to mind right away. One is it depends on how you define technology too. Cause like technology has been so helpful. Um, and I would even go back to say like, you know, 1500s printing press technology that was super helpful sure, yeah. uh, in printing the Bible. And the fact that we have Bibles today is, is rooted in technological advances. So I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Technology is, is so helpful. Um, the other thing that comes to my mind is the gospel frees us up to use that for the glory of God, for the kingdom advancement. Uh, and to not be so handcuffed into like a view of uh, technology is evil or bad or good or like like technology in and of itself isn't good or bad. It has incredible ways it can be used for the kingdom yeah. and it is being used for the kingdom. But it's almost like anything else that God has allowed us to develop and create. It, it can be used in really bad ways as well. Right. So I think just a, a view of it, like the gospel frees us up to use it in kingdom ways and enjoy that and do it. And um, I mean, I... I I use it in, in ways to help me think about God that I, I, I would not be thinking about God in those ways without tech advances. So I think use it in a way that 
glorifies God and advances the kingdom and watch out for the ways it distracts away from that. Awesome. So I want to spend the last couple of minutes with you uh, talking about what, what have you seen that has been encouraging to you? What is, what is the spirit leaning on you and putting uh, in front of you to, to keep you motivated and keep you just enduring the struggles that, cause they aren't going away. Right. I, I don't see any of these struggles just going away uh, anytime soon. And so what what has the spirit been encouraging you with? I think big picture, it goes back to why I titled my blog, what I did, gospel awareness. Um, I was actually just having a conversation with someone about this the other day. What I have seen in my own heart and is continuing to happen is an awareness of who God is, an awareness of the gospel that is just so incredible that you can't possibly mind the depths of it. So like, it's almost like God has, has just kind of peeled the blinders away and just opened up this whole new world of, man, I this this gospel is so rich and so deep and so powerful that you're you're going to spend the rest of your life pursuing this and and it's going to be difficult and hard and joyful and rewarding and you're still not going to understand it all yeah and i'm seeing that awareness happen in other people i'm seeing the spirit do that work through the gospel in the hearts of other people and that is that is hugely encouraging to me to see that the the gospel is root, taking root in hearts and it's flowing out to other people and, and it's it's impacting and reorienting the way they live their lives. And I'm going to just pray and work to see that happen more and to see that awareness more widespread. Yeah. And what would you say has been kind of a a motivating point or a, a reset point for you that you go back to, like, what is a truth that has just been anchored in your heart lately that uh, is a good reminder for anyone who is going through, you know, similar leadership or pastoral issues? God is our refuge. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that is, that is the, the big thing that I've been contemplating the past few weeks, especially um, cause, uh, it's painful and, and it hurts. Um, and it is messy work and it's difficult. Uh, but when we take our refuge in God, there is, there's nothing that can affect us there. There's nothing that can pull us away. There's nothing that can attack God and win, you know? Right. So there's all kinds of things that can attack me and win. And I get down in that, but realizing that God is my refuge and he offers that in the gospel is man. That's, that's what keeps me going. Yeah. And I, I just love the way that you explained that. And it's so true. And we'll need to have another conversation about, that I want to have you back on multiple times because I, I just value your friendship and all of this. And so wrapping out in the last couple of seconds here, what would be one thing that you would motivate people to do that they can do right now to, to give them some encouragement? Open your Bible and read it. <laughs> Seems practical, you know, open your Bible and read it's it. It's cliche and yeah. it's simple, yeah. uh, but we don't. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me today. Um, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. I'm happy to do it. Yeah. So that's all we have for today. This is going to be a very long uh, road because we have a lot to learn. We'll never be able to mine the entire depth of the gospel, but we're going to do what we can. So join us next time on Mission and Likeness, only on Love Local. Love Local.